0: The Gideon generation, amen. I'm just going to take a few moments because I know we're anxious to to fellowship for the rest of the day as well. But last week, if you'll just give me a minute to review, I told you here in the book of Judges, the nation of Israel, unfortunately, had not possessed and seized all of the promised land that God had given to them. Uh, Unfortunately, they decided to make treaties and negotiate. And they only went about halfway in their warfare. And so what happened was that as the years progressed, they were in constant battles with their enemies, even in their promised land. And because the enemies were in their land, oftentimes uh, the enemies would solicit them to fall back, to backslide into old ways and old patterns. And last week we mentioned to you the cycles of Israel that they would go through And how closely they resemble the cycles even in our own lives. And we just referred that to you as when we're going round the mountain one more time. And Israel was going round the mountain 13 times at least we know of in the book of Judges. The nation of Israel cycles through these stages. But all of a sudden, the Lord shows up. And He calls out these judges. And He calls out, in this particular instance, Gideon. And Gideon is the story of how one man can make a difference. If you've never thought that you could make a difference, I'm here to tell you one man can make a difference. One church can make a difference. God does not have to have the majority to win. God plus one equals victory. So we begin to see how in Gideon's life, God begins to use him in order to turn a nation back to the purposes of God. And I like it so much because as we'll begin to study, we're not quite there yet, won't get there today, but as we begin to study and see how he solicits an army to join with him in this pursuit of battling his enemies, we find out that in the kingdom, in the economy of God, he's not looking for quantity, he's looking for quality. In fact, he literally whittles down the troops in order to get to a quality remnant. And once he gets this quality remnant, he says, now I have what I need in order to go forth and win the battle. And so he pulls forth Gideon, this man who has, who has doubts, he has low self-esteem, he has little confidence, he's full of fear, he's in the middle of a nation that's under attack, he's in the middle of a recession. Everything that we would look at in the natural that could be poised against a person winning a battle would have been set up against him. I tell you, I love these kinds of stories because it's the perfect scenario for God to move in. Don't you worry if our nation looks as if it's lost all its sense. Don't you worry about the fact that we may be in a recession and unemployment is as high as it's ever been. And it seems like every moral value that we would hold near and dear is being taken away from us or trampled upon us. Don't you worry about all of that because God looks at scenarios like that. Impossible scenarios. And He jumps in in order to demonstrate that He's the God of the impossible. He doesn't need thousands. He just needs some quality. And that's exactly what I believe God's saying to you and me as we become that Gideon uh, generation. Now, here in Judges chapter 6, I'm going to move a little bit further, just going to read two verses to you. Verses 16 and 17. And we're going to get started with what I called this morning battle preparations. Battle preparations. Judges six sixteen. it says, And the Lord said to him, meaning Gideon, Surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. That's, the, that's underlined in my Bible. You're going to defeat that major army as one man. Then Gideon said to the Lord, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Battle preparations. Now, Gideon had every right in the natural to be scared at what the Lord was calling him to. He was going against an enemy that rarely lost battles. And then to hear that he would face them as one man would make the most faith filled of us, I would suspect a little skeptical. So Gideon gets before the Lord and he says, Lord, if this is you, then please give me a sign. He needed something to happen that would give him the confidence that this wasn't a dream, that he just wasn't generating this inside of himself, but that God had come to him and that this was a true call from God because the numbers weren't adding up for a victory. And every now and then you and I are going to be in scenarios where the numbers don't add up and we're going to have to ask ourselves, have I heard from God or not? But Gideon was at the place where he was still looking at the numbers and he was looking at the scenario and he knew that if this wasn't God, there was no way he should be going into this battle in his current state. And the truth that is, that is all too familiar and similar for us today is that the church in America, I believe, is kind of where Gideon is at. We look at all that's going on and and to be candid with you, I think there's numbers of us and numbers of pastors. And, and, and maybe I'll just share this with you. The, the, the years I think I'm going into right now, those of you that are, that are here with me and those of you that will remain with me through the years, you're going to see, I think, God enlarged something in both Trace and myself. He's enlarging our influence. And I'm finding myself, really, I didn't try for this. It wasn't something I was in a line for to sign up for. But that God has just opened doors for us to input a lot of pastors and leaders. I'm getting them calling me on the phone unsolicited, just talking to me. I didn't, like I said, if you think think shepherding people's tough, you ought to shepherd shepherds. It's kind of like herding cats. I mean, it's just it's it's challenging. In some ways, it's it's easier, and in some ways, it's more difficult. And, and so God has sort of enlarged this thing. And, and, and as I began to think about that, and as I thought about Gideon, and I think it has particular reference to that because, because I think there are a lot of pastors who are saying to themselves, what in the world can we do with all the cultural trends and numbers pointed against us? And I think pastors are really struggling with this. I know that to be true because... Because without naming names, I can tell you that we can watch pastors on on national television shows who don't seem to be able to muster the courage on TV to look into the camera and say to our nation that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Somebody asks us that question and we bumble, stumble around. I don't understand. That's That's like Christianity 101. He is the He is the door. He is the gate. He is the way, the way, the truth, and the life. He said no one gets to the Father but through Him. That wasn't my idea. It was His idea. But we're having trouble even in our shepherds, lacking a confidence in believing that God's ways work. We really do look around and say, where are the miracles? Come on, here in America. We look and say, where are the miracles? Aren't you glad this morning that we can have a testimony hot out of the oven that God still does miracles? Miracles. The doctor doesn't know what's wrong. God knows what's wrong and He can fix it. The one that created the eyeball can fix the eyeball. I'm glad for that. But by and large, you look around today and we say, where are the miracles? We lack courage because we know what the Philistine media will do to us if we dare to raise our heads. You know, a number of weeks ago, all of us, I suspect, saw Pastor uh, Terry Jones, the pastor from Jacksonville, who had who had uh, gathered his congregation and you recall he was going to have a Berna Koran day. I never really said much about it at the time. And... uh Probably to my uh, chagrin and to my own detriment, I probably should have said more at the time. But I watched that, and I, I, I just watched, and I saw how merciless the media can be. Do you understand the media today is the Philistine army? It was the Philistine Goliath who taunted the armies of the living God. That 's what David said, David said, "Who is this uncircumcised philistine who taunts the armies of the living god that 's the media. the media taunts the armies of the living God. it puts us on television and then it, then it says, Are you telling me are you telling me that there are certain people who won 't go to heaven? Are you telling me that you really believe this that you really believe that? And they literally they taunt the armies of the living God and, and I watched this this pastor in Jacksonville, and I want to say this carefully, lest uh, because i 'm on iTunes lest someone you know, hears it and decides to disseminate it, and then I get, you know, the CNN Philistine truck out front. (laughs) I I would not personally, I'll tell you that this is truthfully, I would not have personally chosen that provocative a method in order to garner attention or to make a point. I don't don't know that I, I would have done that. But but can I just say this, and I'm going to say it out loud. I had a real compassion for him. And you know why? It's because in Deuteronomy 7, 5, the Scripture does say that God says, remove and burn the detestable things. That's Scripture I just read to you. Now, I'm going to say this to you. Now, again, I don't know that I'd have chosen that. I I think burning books smacks of certain things that I don't sure, that I'm not sure I, w- I want to communicate. But can I just say this? That there's gonna come a day that you and I are gonna stand on a scripture, and it doesn't matter what scripture it is, it's gonna be one we're all gonna agree on as one we can't move or negotiate with, and they're going to stick microphones in our face, and cameras in our face, and they're gonna ask us, is this really what you wanna do? And there's gonna be a line drawn in the sand somewhere. And maybe we didn't agree with what this one pastor decided to do there in Jacksonville, Florida. And can I just say this? The reason I felt compassion for him is because there were really two things. I knew, number one, that there was nobody in his life that could whisper in his ear. And maybe he could have bounced that idea off of before he actually did it. And then number two is what solicited compassion for me was that there was nobody willing to stand with him. As the media came. And I remember being in a pastor's meeting. And this subject came up and everybody was basically in agreement that probably none of us would have chosen that method. But I looked at that group of pastors and I said to them, I said, guys, I understand maybe our issue isn't going to be burning a Koran and that's not going to be the one that we decide the line is going to be drawn at. But there's going to come a day that we're going to get pushed into a place that there's going to be a line in the sand. This is the way it's going. And we're going to have to determine whether or not we stand there. And I'm looking around the table at all of you at this table. And there's going to come a day when maybe you make a stand or I make a stand. And we're going to see you on the news. And the question is, will I jump into my car and I drive up the road? And will I stand with you in the front of those cameras? Because I'll guarantee you, if, if one will put a thousand to light. Two will put 10,000 to flight and you get two, four, 10, 20, 100, 200, 500 pastors who will stand shoulder to shoulder and say this is where the line is and we ain't moving. I'll guarantee you that Philistine media will change its tune. But as long, listen, as long as it can isolate us, As long as it can isolate us as a single person, what it does is it feels like it can intimidate us. You need to get ready because there may come a day that you may get interviewed and, and they'll ask you, what's that crazy pastor of yours doing? And there's going to come the moment where we're going to have to determine whether or not as believers we're going to stand shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm. Are we going to stand for righteousness? Or are we going to capitulate over and over and over again under the supposed auspices of tolerance and love? Let me tell you, folks, I love people. I love the sinner. I You can be in the grossest, most egregious sin known to man and God loves you. But God does not love what you're doing. And we're going to have to get to that place where we understand what's going on. You're going to be outnumbered, overwhelmed, and out of your league. And whether or not it's major national issues, sometimes that's an issue just in your office or just at your school, young people. There you are all by yourself at school as everyone else is is, is doing their Philistine thing. Or there you are at work. And everyone else is doing their Philistine thing. And you feel like I'm just one person. Can one person make a difference? Yes, we're going to have to be connected though. We're going to have to be able to listen to sound counsel. And I'm telling you, God is raising up a Gideon generation and a Gideon army that may not overwhelm them by numbers. But if God is with us, who can be against us? And I'm telling you, that's sort of the spiritual militancy. I'm not saying this is done in the flesh. We battle not with flesh and blood. This this isn't about becoming a paramilitary organization. This is about getting back down on our knees and understanding it's not who has the most horses and chariots. It's not who has the greatest number of swords. It's who has influence with God. And yes, one person can make a difference. And I've been reminded that if I desire a quality army of God's saints, then quality has to start with the head. If pastors want to see quality saints of God, then they're going to have to start standing and getting a backbone. They're going to have to quit capitulating and beginning to look in people eye to eye and say, we love you. We 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 want you. We want you to be redeemed and restored. We want that. But Jesus is the only way. I'm sorry, it is exclusive. Jesus Himself said, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but it's broad. But the way to eternal life is narrow. Few there be, He says, that find this thing. We're going to have to get back to it's not the biggest army who wins. It's the quality of the army. And I am grateful personally that I'm connected As my wife mentioned to you, we are connected, and I am so grateful. I'm connected to warriors. I'm connected to some guys that have done their time in jails, not because they were at the wrong place doing unrighteous things, but they were at the right place doing godly things. Warriors. And again, we're not looking to get arrested, we're not trying to aggravate the world, we're not trying to find ways to irritate everybody but there's coming a day when the gospel will produce its own offense as as unoffensive as i want to be just the truth that i cling to will be enough for the offense we're in an era i don't know i'm just i'm off my notes we're in an era right now and i think this is the enlarging of my call that we think god is calling he's just call, he just he's he's just calling us to be to be sort of astute Astute salesman and astute Managers and chief executive officers and leadership specialists and 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 it just it it reaps the place for me as I've sort of looked around that that somehow or another we think that that church life is just about building multi million dollar spiritual WalMarts and franchises and 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 all of a sudden we've embraced all the concepts of the world in order to make it business savvy. God's not raising up CEOs; He's raising up generals. He doesn't want us to manage, he's wanting us to get a word again. I received a prophecy some time ago. That that as we would build our new campus, someone said this because they know my affinity to George Whitfield and how Whitfield wasn't received within the confines of Charleston proper. And that ultimately, he, he, he was run out of town after he'd been thrown in jail. They bailed him out. Some folks bailed him out, got him out to Johns Island. And actually, our new location is not far from where Whitfield set up shop. But somebody gave me a prophecy and had mentioned how, how, how that, that new building and that property would be compared to like an Air Force base where, where they call them sorties. You know what sorties are. They send out missions. Uh, you know, with, with airplanes, whether it's bombers or, or jets or whatever. And, and, and we would actually move from that place and, and we would move through this region. And then we would come back, obviously, to the base for refueling and, and then go out again. And, and, I, and I just was thinking about how that imagery was so good. Because literally, you know what the church is? The church is nothing more than a barracks where we get our spiritual rest in in order to go out and be the army of God. We are disseminated to be the army of God. And all of this has an excitement to it. And even as I preach this stuff, I kind of get myself into a lather. And I say to myself, yeah, man, that's good. I said, somebody take notes on me, honey. This is good stuff. I don't even know what I'm saying, but I don't want to lose it. This is good stuff. And so I get excited. You may get excited. But folks, we got to realize that there's some things that are going to happen. Our excitement will not get us to where we need to be. If it was excitement, I could give you an exciting service, but that excitement would be over 24 hours from now. Something else has to happen in order for us to be formed into this generation that Gideon represents. I want to talk just for a moment. I'm going to go through this fast. Listen fast. There was a progression that God takes him through of three things real quick. Three things of an internal restoration that had to happen before even Gideon is even prepared to solicit an army. Now again... I think this can be applied to all of us. I am really sensitized to what I'm fixing to say to you here because I believe that if I I don't get that spirit in me, that I can't communicate that spirit and that impartation can't happen to you. And I want it to happen to you. Yes, can God do sovereign things? Sure he can, but God works through leaders. He does. And, and, and I want something in me to happen in you. And when it happens in you, it'll happen in your household. And when it happens in your household, it'll happen in your family tree. And when it happens in the family tree, it begins to spill over into the culture. So here was this thing that he was taken through. Number one, there was the restoration of supernatural fire. I, I, I'm not going to take the time to read it all, but basically Gideon says, God, if this is you, then, then I'm going to bring an offering and, and give me a sign. And God gives him a sign. The Bible says that out of the rock in verse 20, that out of the rock, a fire came forth and it consumed the offering. How many of you know, if you get fire from a rock, that's a miracle. Rocks don't burn. And, and so he sees this fire come from this rock and there not been a fire in Israel the supernatural fire, for many, many years. In fact, this was such a dramatic moment that Gideon, in a few verses later, would actually uh, have to be comforted by the angel of the Lord because he thought he was going to die. That's how just you know, off the chart and over the top this whole thing was. But God had to restore the fire before they were even remotely prepared to be an army. Folks, I'm telling you that, that we've got to begin to ask God for the fire again. God's got to restore the fire in us. Fire represents purity. It represents passion. It, it represents a hunger because fire has to be fed, so it represents a hunger. And I'm telling you, God is wanting to put his people and churches on fire. We need to be the church on fire. Amen. Amen restoring a fire, a fire from deadness. I'm telling you, I don't care how dead the culture may be or how dead we think our city may be or or, or how uh, just hard to the gospel we think it is. I'm telling you, from the rock, God brings forth fire. Maybe there are better cities to minister in. I don't know, but this is the city we're in. And God's going to restore the fire and we need that restored in our, our lives. Do you have the fire? Secondly, out of that fire, the scripture says in verse 22, there was supernatural revelation because Gideon perceived in verse 22 that he, this, this, this angel that he was talking to was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now it's interesting because in the Bible, you'll see the angel of the Lord show up on different occasions. And, and the fancy word is a theophany. That's the fancy word for the angel of the Lord. And what most people believe is, is that the angel of the Lord was a pre, listen to me, a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus Christ. It wasn't just an angel. In fact, it says the angel of the Lord. Most scholars believe it to be a, an Old Testament manifestation or picture of the captain of the Lord of hosts, Jesus himself. Now there, you can debate it. It's, it's really not that big of a deal, but, but, but I'm just telling you, there was a revelation that came out of that fire because fire births revelation. When you get the fire back, you'll get your revelation back. We need a revelation again of the cross, a revelation of the power of God, a revelation of the presence of the Lord. If, if you struggle with why you don't see the cross as being powerful, maybe the fire needs to fall again so the revelation in you can be birthed again to where you begin to see that His ways are the only way, where you begin to see that, 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 that God's precepts are the precepts that we can build a life on that will ultimately work. And that's exactly what happened to Gideon. Supernatural fire. Fire births revelation. And then number three, What it gives him here in verse 23. Then the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear, you won't die. Verse 24, Gideon builds an altar and he calls it the Lord is peace. So he gets fire, fire births revelation and then revelation gives him peace. I'll just say it again. Get your fire. Your fire will birth revelation and once you get revelation, then your peace will come again. The reason there's no peace in the people of God anymore. The reason we are in as much turmoil as the world. The reason we get as upset as the world gets in all the things that surround us. The reason, the reason we will get just as fussy and, 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 and up in upheaval is because we've lost our peace. And the reason we've lost our peace is because we have no revelation. And the reason we have no revelation is because the fire of the Lord is no longer amongst us. And all of this is critical because God cannot raise up a Gideon until these things become our foundation. Folks, we're toast. If we go into battle without a revelation and a confidence and a peace on the inside, we will be toast. And I honestly believe that God is willing to send a fire again. And we can go into battle, and again, this is a spiritual battle, but we can go into battle again believing God for great and mighty things. But it was out of this, this is the generation. This is what has to happen in that generation that prepares them for the battle ahead. And there are four things that are birthed out of this. I'm going to run through this fast, fast, fast. That prepares this generation for the battle. Listen to this. Four things. If we'll get the fire, so it bursts revelation that releases our peace. These four things will begin to happen. Number one, we'll begin to reaffirm our convictions. In verse 25, it's interesting because what happened was is that the Lord said to Gideon, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has. So literally, once this happened to Gideon, God begins to prepare him. Listen, this is, he isn't sending him to the Midianites yet. You can't beat the Midianites till you win over family. I mean, mean, you think you're going to go be a witness at work? You can't be a witness in your own house. You can't stand in your own home. But you're going to go stand out in the marketplace? You're going to stand when you're challenged out there? The Lord said to him, you go to your own house first and tear down your father's false altars. And you know what Gideon did? Gideon broke from his family at that moment. He broke away from his family and decided that God took precedent over his family. Do not confuse honoring your parents with compromising with your parents. God never called you to compromise with your parents. God never said that you were to compromise with your household. I'm just telling you, when I grew up in all of this stuff, I'd have to go to family reunions and family gatherings. And when I went into the family, it wasn't as if I suddenly got this release from God to, to nuzzle up to the wet bar, to get drunk silly with the rest of them in order that somehow I can identify with them because Paul said to the Greek, I was as a Greek. And to the Jew, I was as a Jew. So therefore, as a drunk, I am a drunk. Comes a moment you've got to break from some Family. That's what Jesus was saying. He said, do not think I've come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword and I'm going to drop it right in the middle of families. Now, Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus, is He for families? Yes, but He's not for families worshiping Baal. There must be a generation that breaks free from these old idolatries and starts getting a backbone. I don't, I don't care what mama and daddy are doing. You're not going to stand before God and say, "Well, mama, daddy did it," and God's going to say, "I don't care who your mama is, or who your daddy is." I'm wanting to know what you did. You got some conviction. That's where it starts. And and does it cost you some things? Yes, it cost me some things. It, it, it cost me sleeplessness at times. I'm telling you with my folks, there were times I had to leave vacations early when I was 19 years old because there just came a moment I couldn't stand in that atmosphere. There came moments that I couldn't do and participate in things because I'm just telling you, it grieved the Holy Ghost. And did it cause alienation? Yes, but can I tell you something? Nearly 25 years later, now my household is moving my direction. My family tree is moving my direction. And I'm telling some of you right now need to arise and tear down the idols that are there. Renew your own convictions. Number two, it's not good enough just to tear down the idols, but we got to renew the construction. Then he said in verse 26, you're to build an altar to the Lord, your God. So he said, tear it down. And now you're going to build something up. That's what it said in Jeremiah one ten. Guys, do you have that passage? It says, see, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. Listen, to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down. But he said, then what? To build and to plant. You just don't tear something out without putting something back. It's not enough that you just tear down the idols. You've got to replace it with what is right. And I think rebuilding the altars mean things like we've got to prioritize prayer. We've got to acknowledge God again in the public arena. Listen, I'm not buying into this business that, that government is neutral. You go ahead and believe that. If you think it's neutral, you're a fool. It's not neutral. It attacks me. It undermines me. It grieves God. That's not neutral. In every civilization, there is a prevailing philosophy that will always win. The question is not, can we be neutral? The question is, which philosophy wins? I'll tell you which one needs to win. It's Jesus who needs to win because He's the only one that can set people free. Everything else binds us up. Amen is right because that's the only truth that will give us true liberty. But we've got to rebuild the walls. It's no longer good enough for us just to just to take scraps from the Supreme Court and scraps from our politicians. They just they speak these little platitudes just to give us just enough that we'll run to them and vote for them and when they get in office, they forget who get them to the dance. Now I understand there's going to be moments where we're all going to hold our nose and push a lever and the lesser of two evils wins. But I am no longer to the point believing that that's where The answer lies. The answer is not in a Republican revolution. The answer is in a revival in the land. It is time that we press the claims of Christ in the land. We begin to reprioritize our lives. We begin to seek God for revival. And when awakening comes to America again, it will be right in Washington again. Or Columbia or wherever it is. Or just our school board. Have mercy. Number three, after that, he could recruit the company. It's interesting here. It says, so then Gideon gets 10 men. Now see, God's training him, isn't he? He's training him for what's about ready to take place. He took 10 men from among his servants and did as the Lord said. Probably he wanted some support because he was going into daddy's house to tear down some altars and he probably wanted some guys with him. I just suspect that to be the case. And it is true that God will use one person, but it is nice to have some support. But the other thing I just felt like the Lord said is nobody can do it alone. God will use one man, but nobody can do it alone. So he picks 10 guys out. He begins to recruit the company. He begins to recruit those who obviously have the same heart as he does. Obviously have some of the same convictions. Obviously have some of the same mindsets. He begins to recruit them out. And so that's that's sort of where we start. That's what I'm doing with Iron Man. I, I told the guys, it doesn't matter... To me, if two guys show up every second and fourth Tuesday or if 20 guys show up or if 200 guys show up or 2000, it doesn't matter to me anymore. I'm going to start sowing into the men of this community some precepts that will ultimately save Charleston, South Carolina. Listen, that's not arrogance. That's just truth. There are certain things that We need to know that if we don't know, this culture isn't going to change. We are deteriorating at a speed that is blowing my mind. I'm telling you right now, if something doesn't happen in the next two years that arrests the spiritual attention of our community and this nation, I'm just telling you, 25 years from now, uh, America may not be here. There are things right now that I could go through. I'm just telling you, it concerns me. I've never seen it like this before. I know you say, well, people say that in every generation. I'm just telling you, we've never seen some of the things we're seeing right now. Do you know right now? Right now they're dealing with don't ask, don't tell. Now, I I want you to hear this right now. What are chaplains going to do? There was an article in Saturday's paper that some of the guys have read and now chaplains are finding themselves in a, in an awkward place because some of the chaplains, most of whom I found out come from conservative denominations. Now they're asking themselves, if all of a sudden this is repealed, then what does that mean for us? Do we do, how do we stand up and how do we give a message? How do we preach the truth? How do we preach the gospel? And do you understand right now what they're saying is, oh, we aren't going to inhibit your religious freedom. Do you believe that for a moment? I don't believe that for a moment because they're already having to have their prayers approved before they can pray at public functions. And I'm telling you what's happened right now is, is that they're going to look at chaplains and say this, you just don't talk about this area. So what has happened is this, that those who are of a homosexual lifestyle no longer function under a don't ask, don't tell. But the chaplains now function under don't ask, don't tell. So the whole thing has become convoluted and turned around. Suddenly it's no longer the sin that's in the closet, it's righteousness that's in the closet. I'm not going in the closet quietly. And it's no longer the season that I can stand up here and give you self-help techniques and give you five steps to a better future. And how? I'm telling you folks, it is time that we got ready for battle. There's a battle that's going on for the souls of this generation and our kids and our grandkids. And if we're found sleeping at the well, we're going to look behind and suddenly find out that it's no longer the nation you and I grew up in. And in Canada right now, if, if this church was in Canada right now, i have just broken the law with everything I've said. In Australia as well. Do you understand that this sermon has now broken the law in at least two nations of the world? Come on. Yeah, praise God. <laughs> well, praise God. Somebody here will come visit me, right? You'll be on Leeds. Come visit me. I'll write the notes, hand it out, and I don't know, we'll see what happens. And then, last but not least, after all this took place, it says here in verse 34 he's tearing all these things down. His father actually gets on board. Isn't that amazing that once Gideon decided that he was going to step into some courage and conviction, his father jumps on board with him? Isn't that cool? You know, some of us have never tried to exercise a conviction to find out if somebody else would jump on board. You might be surprised if you just gently, lovingly, with a good spirit, exercised a conviction. You might be surprised how many people would say, I'm with you. But, but they're waiting for somebody, a Gideon, a, a Gideon generation. They're waiting for somebody who will have the moxie to do that. Not, not, I'm not saying you've got to yell and scream like I do. I just yell and scream because that's my disposition. And and I realize if I were to do this on a national news program, they'd think I was nuts. And I would never do that. I've been on talk radio before. I know how to conduct myself. It's because there's an anointing here and the anointing doesn't always hit on talk radio. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that if we would just in a good spirit, just begin to speak the truth, you'd be amazed at who gets attracted to it. And what happens when all of this takes place, then in verse 30, it says, but the 34, excuse me, but the spirit of the Lord, it says, came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet and the Ahazarites began to gather behind him. All of a sudden, the spirit was dispensed and it began to clothe him. He received the clothing of the spirit. He was cloaked in the spirit's power. And suddenly, when people saw that happening, he was able to give the trumpet's call. He was able to give. The battle cry and all of a sudden people begin to gather around him. Can I just share this with you? I just believe that God wants to pour forth of His Spirit. That God wants a new Pentecostal to come to His church. And that Pentecostalism will not drive people away. But when they see the Holy Spirit come with fire again, that it's going to gather the Azorites one more time. It's going to gather those from the far reaches of the region to come and participate. When they see, when they see it's clothed one more time in the Spirit's power. I believe it's going to call an army that's going to be ready to go into battle. I just, I am unapologetic. I am, I am Pentecostal to the bone because I figure if the early church had to have it in order to navigate a hostile culture, how much more do we need it? In the day you and I live, I don't need, I don't need, hide it, don't let anyone know about it until maybe, maybe we'll sneak it in on them. That ain't gonna change our culture. What's gonna change our culture is when we arise up and when they look us in the eye and say, You one of them tongue, talk, tongue talkers? And you just go shabba dabba do. And they roll their eyes and think you're an idiot until they catch some disease and you'll be the first one they call to get on your prayer list. It's not who wins first. It's he who endures to the end. Amen. Stand with me, will you?